Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. On this Tuesday morning, Daybreak Devotions, that's me, crumbling paper over here. Was you picking that up? Uh, just slightly. Ah, well, that lets the audience know that real stuff's happening. Hey, there is there is actual work that's taking place right before your very ears. Either that or I was getting rid of some work before somebody held me accountable to oh, it. Oh, that too. Yeah. But we're glad you're back with us on this uh, special occasion of Daybreak Devotions. Why is it special? Well, because we're here and you're here, and that's all it takes. Where two or three are gathered. Oh, yeah, you, which is to say the Lord's here, too. Yep. Well, we did ask him to be with us, so sure we trust did. that he is. And uh, we're. it's really, though, what I'm getting at is uh, I've just continued to enjoy how we focused on this road to Pentecost. Even after we've been doing this for over a week, I still won't say road to perdition <laughs> every time. That is not the road we're on, folks. And if there's anybody on that road, we're trying to help you get off of it. But the, the road to Pentecost, and we are focusing, I guess, for our third uh, broadcast on the Great Commission. Or perhaps we could go along with Dallas Willard's assessment, the Great Omission. Ooh. I was going to start out with that, or, well, wasn't going to start out with that. I was going to use it sometime, but I guess we'll start out with it. Uh, Dallas Willard put out a book called The Great Omission. Have you ever heard of that one? I feel like I've heard it referenced in something else that I've read before, but I've never seen it or actually read an excerpt from it. Well, as we're talking about the Great Commission today, and we're going to touch base on that again, here's what he writes about in his book, The Great Omission. He says, The last command Jesus gave the church before he ascended to heaven was the Great Commission, the call for Christians to make disciples of all the nations. But Christians have responded by making Christians, not disciples. This has been the church's great omission. And that's part of what I think we'll talk about today. I wrote down a couple of questions that we should pose and then offer some answers to. Maybe we've got some other questions. But, like, what are the major obstacles to getting this great commission done? And what can we do to lead our churches into getting serious about this? So those are some of the things we want to talk about. I mean... I mean, what, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? We'll break down the Great Commission today, do a little word study, a little looking at uh, what Jesus actually said there. We are looking at Matthew 28 today as our starting point. We started, I guess, over the last couple of times we looked at Acts 1-8, but Matthew 28 kind of unpacks it a little bit more, gives us a little more of a detailed look. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here's what I'm convinced of. The Great Commission for us to do it is going, it's actually calling for some great change on our part as individuals and as churches. You know, uh, as I was thinking on this, even the other day, this passage from 1 John 5 came to my mind. 1 John 5, verse 18 through 21, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. 
And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That phrase, the whole world lieth in wickedness, really says something to what is what is before us, what the, the objective, the challenge of it that is in front of us. There's an entire world that is just swamped in wickedness. Now, we ourselves are supposed to be born of God. We're supposed to be keeping ourselves keeping ourselves from that for him. But one of the challenges I think we've identified is how little we're actually giving ourselves to him versus really just keeping ourselves for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're really good about spiritualizing our pursuit of our own life, you know, kind of kind of blending to where we can feel good about our selfish lives and doing it in the name of church life, Christianity as a whole, and so we're not holding ourselves accountable to what Jesus is expecting of his disciples. Well, what exactly is he expecting of us? Because the Great Commission was certainly something given only to the church and not just to these original disciples, but to each one of us today. We carry that on, or we're supposed to. And as we said yesterday, we don't want to just, we don't want to be a part of this thing where we just sit around and and congratulate ourselves for talking about taking right. the gospel to the world. How do we practically and effectively get involved in this? And I, you know, I feel like when I ask that question, I, I want to acknowledge that to the pastors that are listening or to the church members that are listening right now, we might be thinking about our mission support, the money that we give to missions. It's a good thing, and it's not that's not something to be overlooked or or denigrated. Mm -hmm. But as we referenced yesterday from that report. Only about 1% of what we're giving is actually going into the areas of the world that are currently unreached. So most of the money that we give in church is spent on ourselves. And of the money that is given into missions, 99% of it is going to areas where the gospel has already gone. As you made that statement on yesterday's broadcast, um, another teaching of Jesus came to my mind, and uh, I read on some of that even preparing for this broadcast, but in Luke 14, where he gives the, the parable of the, the, the king, the ruler that was preparing the marriage for his son, sends the servant out, and, you know, everybody that was bidden gave the three excuses. Well, I've bought land. I've got a yoke of oxen. i got to go prove, um, you know, I'm, I married a wife. I, I can't come. And then the servants come back, and the, the Lord says, well, right, forget them, and then go out and find... The, blame, the, the, the blind, the maimed, the halt, and he gives that list. And the servants come back and they say, okay, Lord, we've done that, and yet there's still room. And then he says, go out to the highway and the hedges, compel them to come in that my house may be full. And I know the interpretation of, of that passage, but I think the application that came to my mind was how, how guilty are we are focusing so much on the first classification of people, you know, the ones that have heard that they, they've got it. They, they've been reached with the gospel, but they're still choosing to ignore it. Yet we focus so much of our time and energy on them that we're ignoring the rest of the command of there are other people out there that need to still be brought in, need to still be reached, that either the world has forgotten, society has neglected, religion has ignored, and all of these different things, they're, they're still out there, and yet we're still focused on begging and pleading the ones that have been presented with it, yet are just choosing to go about other things in their life. One of the things we talked about before we came to do radio today, 
that you actually brought up was how often we are hearing the disparaging remarks, the negativity about mission organizations that go mm-hmm. into these these places, these countries, and we're talking again about these unreached areas, that 1040 window. And they go into these areas and they they dig wells or they provide humanitarian relief or, or medical assistance. And we hear this thing about, well, you know, but they're not taking the gospel in there. They're just yep. going in there and taking care of physical needs. I mean, number one, where does that uh, that attitude even derive from? Yep. You, you, you'll hear this kind of, you know, they're going in and they're giving them fish, but they ain't teaching them how to fish for themselves. You know, they're, they're going in and meeting temporary needs, but they're not satisfying their eternal need. And I feel like that's a very closed, narrow-minded, very negative viewpoint. You know, you're making a lot of assumptions based on what somebody else is doing without really having the facts to substantiate those those same judgments. So it, it sounds very cliche, like like we just spout out all these things, and it, it really what it comes back to looking like is we're just, I mean, I, I feel like a broken record, but it almost feels like we're just defending our traditions. Yes. We're just defending it because they don't do it like we do it. And maybe it's overlooking that it's the means to an end, but I don't even want to say that. But let's just say, let's say that the, the digging a well or the providing medical assistance is a means to an end. What if you can't get those people to listen any other way? But what if by doing those things, number one, you're allowed to come into the village, and number two, people are actually going to give you attention because they see you care? Yes. Well, that's just a liberal kind of uh, leftist view of things or whatever. I don't even know what you call that. I don't know what the hardcore fundamentalist would call that, but listen to this. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13 through 17 Bring no more vain oblations. Now, this is God talking to Israel, but in application, God to people of faith, his, his followers. Bring no, more, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Now, so far what God has said to his people is, you're sickening me with your church services. Mm-hmm. You're coming together to make your offerings and to say your prayers and to do all this stuff. I have no interest in that. It's turning my stomach. Reading on. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood, which is another way of saying I'm holding you accountable mm-hmm. for something. Well, what is it? Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. All right, we're good so far. Well, that's me, brother. Man, yeah, I'm not out there doing what the what the world's doing. Oh, but here comes verse 17. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. So basically, what is that a call for? It's a call for taking care of people who have some serious and real needs. Yeah. Now I go back to uh, the book Don't Hold Back by David Platt, just maybe one last time on this topic, but he kind of summarizes that whole passage by saying, God hates it when his people say prayers, bring offerings, and attend worship services while ignoring injustice and oppression around them. Well, I mean, that's kind of what we're getting from Isaiah right there. Yeah. God cares about the hurting. God cares about the people that 
are suffering. God cares about orphans and widows and those who suffer from injustice and those who are oppressed, oppressed by, you know, dictatorial governments or oppressed by, you know, the circumstances of their life, the environment that they live in. So it's never a bad thing to bring relief to people. Yeah. It is exactly the work of Jesus. And and the good thing is no single person is called to provide relief to everybody. We, we can't. And, and God does not expect us to be the means to an end for every single person because he and he alone can fill that gap. But I believe he does expect us to care about every single person. And out of a heart of genuine love and compassion, desire to, Lord, whatever I can do, I'm yielded. I'm yours. Everything that I have is at your disposal. Whatever you lead me to do, I'm holding nothing back from you. I'm going to do it. Understanding that I can't help everybody, but whoever I can help, I want to help them in your name and for your glory. And the question we're trying to come back to is how do we get involved in helping? Now, if we look at Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, there's some key words that I highlighted. Uh, What is required to get the, the Great Commission done? And there's a thousand things we could preach or say about this text, but let me let me just approach it this way. I highlighted a few key words from what Jesus says here. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, and I start right there, power. we got to have power to do this. Not our power, but it's his power. He gives power, all power, and that word is another way of saying authority. As a matter of fact, Jesus is known for this. Matthew 7, 29, after the Sermon on the Mount, he taught them as one having authority. It's the same word. Um, Exousia, um, E-X-O-U-S-I-A is the Greek word. And I wish I'd have done the, the looking because it's there's, a, there's an English word that is right there at the tip of my brain that won't come out that I think would be a good way to expound upon that. But basically it means he has the capacity to do. He has the competency to do, but also he has the freedom to do it. And what we have to learn to do as the church is to walk in the freedom of Christ. Mm -hmm. Again, broken record again, but as my old battalion commander said, you can't beat a dead horse too much when it comes to contracting. (laughs) Has nothing to do with this, but when when it comes to the Great Commission, We've got to get out of this habit of trying to just recreate ourselves in other countries. Yes. As a matter of fact, that's one of the points that I wrote down to bring up. When I, when I wrote down this question, what are the major obstacles to getting this done? The very first thing I wrote was our vision of church planning. I think that's a major obstacle because what we're doing, I mean, well, first of all, we could say, why are we church planning instead of disciple making? Again, it's a Dallas Willardism. I'll give him credit. And I think it's in the renovation of the heart book, but he says, what we're to do is make disciples. Churches are the natural outflow of disciple making. If we would be more concerned about making followers of Jesus rather than church planting. Now, I know what we mean by church planting typically, but let's also think about what we actually see with the practice of church planting. What happens most of the time is Missionaries go into a foreign country, and they try to establish an American church in a foreign country and get all those new converts to behave like good American Baptist or good American Methodist or whatever they're coming out of. That's not what we're after. Jesus said, I have given power, and it is in my power. It's my authority. There's the freedom to do it. Go and make disciples. It is unfortunate that 
we have we have definitely Americanized the new convert far more than we have truly Christianized him. And and I, and I use that term Christian in in the proper definition. Or discipleized him. Yes. We, we have gone in and we have made far more Western American converts rather than we have converts to Christ. And it comes, I think it comes from a place of good intention. I think it comes from a, a, a genuine desire, but definitely a, a, a misplaced or, or at least a short-sighted focus of, you know what, it's okay for the body of Christ to look differently in a different country than what it looks like in America. You know, different culture, different customs, different people groups. Can I just, let me put a period on this whole thing. Let's, okay. just put it, let's just put it to bed. We're not the standard. Yes. Get it out of our heads. We are not the standard. I said I was going to make one more reference. I was finishing up the David Platt book over the weekend, and he talked about how in 1907 that great stirring of God that happened in Korea. And do you know that South Korea now sends out more missionaries around the world than any other nation except the United States. The United States, I mean, we've been doing this since the 1700s, mm-hmm. actually 1600s probably, and, and South Korea now is in second place. And this is just since 1907 when that great movement happened wow. there. And, and we need to understand, we're not the standard. We don't hold the title to what church is supposed to be right. in our Americanized form. I mean, we've got to get over that. My soul, we're not going to get to heaven one day and, and find out that, lo and behold, look up here. I mean, it's just like being back home in the good old U.S. of A. <laughs> it's not going to be like that, and we've got to get past that. So here's the second thing. Jesus said, go ye. All right? Now, there's no other way to, to express that. It literally means get out there and travel. Traverse the land. You've got to go. How many of us have never even considered or prayed about going somewhere. And and this doesn't even have to be super complicated. We're talking about, you know, one of my questions, what can we do to lead our churches into getting serious about this? Short-term mission trips. Yeah. And I don't I don't mean glamorized, you know, summer vacations or summer camps for our teens. I'm saying get the people of the church get them hands-on involved in discipling and evangelizing in regions where there are lost people that need to be loved, mm-hmm. you know? And so Jesus said, go. That's part of the command is go. Paul and Barnabas went. Philip went. Philip went down and met this Ethiopian eunuch. Why? Because he was going. Unless we go, we're never going to meet them. You think about how little the opportunity is right here. Everybody around us is saved or either they don't care, all right? Unless we go, we're not going to be impacting the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he says that we are to, once we go, we're to teach, teach all nations. The word here is is to, to make them to become pupils, to disciple them, to enroll them as scholars, as learners. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing, Acts 14, when they had preached the gospel to, uh, in the city that they were in. It says that they taught many. That is the word. They taught them. They, they matheuo them, matheuo like mathematics is, mm-hmm. is where we get that word. But basically, they began to uh, to teach them. They made pupils out of them. And it says, and they returned again to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So it was like this circuit thing they were doing where they were just going around and, and teaching and confirming them in their, their new faith. Baptize, and I'm just spouting these out real quickly as we're running out of time, but baptize, literally to immerse them, to submerge them in water. But when I think of the baptism, 
it makes me think of the confirmation, like confirming them in their faith. You know, uh, baptism is a whole other topic to talk about, why we baptize, what it means, how it should be done. But it really was just confirming them that they had, by their testimony, received Christ as their Savior, and they were confirming them in their obedience, their submission to Christ. And then the last word I highlighted was teaching them to observe. Actually, there's two things, two more things. Teaching them to observe. The reason I highlight that one is because it's a different word. It's that word didasco, and it's probably the one that we're more familiar with. It basically comes from a word that that is the word dao. Now, we see that word a lot of times like T-A-O. I think we talked about it in the mm-hmm. way of the devout heart. But the dao, it means to to teach them this way, help them to learn the way. All right, The way of what? The way of Jesus. So it's really about... Once they've been, I think that first teaching is kind of insinuating like, tell them about it, lead them into it, but now we're going to teach them how to walk in this way. That is part of the mission. And then the final thing that I just want to speak to is, and lo, I am with you always. The reason I highlight that one is the, the key there is, he says, I am with you. So if I were starting this whole presentation over, I would almost want to flip it around and start at the last one because I think it's the most important. We have to learn how to be with Jesus Yes. if we're going to be effective at doing this. If I'm not with Jesus, I know he said, I'll be with you always, but I've got to learn how to be with Jesus. In other words, I've got to learn how to live my life in Christ, abiding in Christ. I've got to learn how to be prayerful. I've got to learn how to uh, meditate in the Scriptures. I've got to learn how to hear the voice of God. I've got to learn the compassion that Jesus had. I've got to learn how to be with Jesus because he promised he would be with us as we go and do this. And so that's a that's a key fundamental right there. So if we want to encourage our churches and the people in our churches in getting serious about this, we need to immerse our own hearts in the disciplines, the spiritual habits, the holy habits that we should be practicing, the same things Jesus did. Uh, immerse our hearts in prayer about this and reading about it. You know, I've mentioned this book, a couple of books today that could be read. And then sharing information with one another. You know, if you find resources, websites that help us, we've talked about the Joshua Project app Mm -hmm. that shows us the unreached people group of the day. Lead and go on short-term mission trips. And to put it in three simple words, pray, give, and go. And, And really talk about those three things and unpack those words. How do they apply to the Great Commission? How do I really pray about the Great Commission? How do I give to it? And how can I go and be involved in it? And those are ways, I think, that that uh, that we can help. I mentioned earlier the other question, what are the major obstacles to getting this done? And I said our vision of church planning. Um, in other words, the priority should be disciple-making, but then also this whole thing about recreating American churches in foreign lands is a bad idea. One other thing I wrote, I think a major obstacle for us to get this done is the comfort culture has us. We are so stinking comfortable in the American Christianity what? We don't want to go anywhere. Yep. What? You want me to go where? Oh, now there's areas that we can get people to go to, as long as they still have a comfortable bed, air conditioning, hot showers every night, maybe some fast food restaurants to hit up. But when we're talking about, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, mean. But when we talked about going to a, a country in Africa, and we said, look, we may have to sleep on the ground, and you may have to use the latrine in the ground, in a hole in the ground, all of a sudden, the excitement went right out the window. Yeah. Eh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, 
The the balloon deflated rather rapidly. Oh, I sounded like a balloon deflating, yeah. didn't I? <laughs> anyway, just a parting word from you. What would you say? Is there anything else that pops up into your head about either how can we help lead our churches into getting serious about this or major obstacles to getting it done? I think a lot of it starts with 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 the conversation aspect of it. I know we said early on that we don't want to be guilty of just sitting around talking about it. And I think there is talking about the theory of it. But the value of having conversations of, no, look, we need to do this. How are we doing this? Because somebody may have an idea or may say something that'll, that'll jog, oh, I can do that. Yeah, that, that is a good idea. So now you take a baby step into, into getting involved. Then you go back and you tell somebody, hey, I've started doing this and this is what I'm experiencing. And it, begin, it can begin to grow because then you're holding one another accountable. You're both working in the same direction. You're both then being able to give testimony to, this is what I'm beginning to see happen. So have the conversations about it. And I think I would say, too, don't sell any level of involvement short. Well, what's the big deal? How much of a difference am I making in this? If your heart and intention is, I have limited ability, but I want to get involved with this. If the Spirit gives you something to do, don't allow the enemy to come behind and say, well, that's not really that big of a deal. No, take the involvement. Give a cup of cold water in somebody's name. Maybe you physically, literally cannot get on the plane and go on one of these short-term mission trips. But you know, hey, I can give somebody that is going something. Rejoice in that involvement that you're able to do and take that step of faith because then we, we really don't know what doors can open up once we begin walking that path. Well, I know we have to end this, not only today, but we have to end this topic <laughs> in the series because we'll end up being an entire radio program about the Great Commission. Wouldn't be a bad thing, but we do have some more road to cover on the way to Pentecost. But I hope these this series has been helpful on the Great Commission, and we'll come back tomorrow and do some more. Jesus died for them That Christ was buried but he rose again Now he lives forevermore To redeem the world and save us from our sin There is hope for the hopeless in the Savior There is help for the helpless in the Lord. So let us take the gospel story to each and every one. Jesus came to die for all the world. For the rich man in the palace for the beggar on the street Jesus shed his blood for all sin's power to defeat 
He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Now He gives us victory. for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.